The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with yet another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Nick Jalen, lead designer and partner of Common Practice. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks so much for making the time today, Nick. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. So I'm a partner and one of the founders at Common Practice. I'm a designer and a human factors engineer by training. And for most of my career, my real focus has been on building simple and tangible tools that help people talk about challenging topics. And that's meant over the years, uh, tools for communication across silos at work, across cultural barriers, and between groups and organizations that are having a hard time working together. Perfect. And a perfect setup for the next question. Could you take a couple of minutes and provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of the work you're doing at Common Practice? Sure. None of this will probably surprise your audience, but I think we have a problem as a society that we don't like talking about death. We're scared of that topic. And that fear of talking about death and the fact that we avoid these conversations all the time winds up creating huge problems, and it creates problems for families, it creates problems in healthcare creates problems really all across the board. And the reason it creates problems is that people have opinions and ideas about their own care, but they keep those opinions to themselves. And I think, you know, part of learning about yourself is talking about challenging topics. So when we don't talk about death and dying and serious illness, we don't have a chance to sort of develop our opinions. So when we don't share those opinions with family and, and healthcare providers, what that means is that when decisions do need to be made, no one really necessarily knows what that person actually wants. And sometimes we can take a guess, but very frequently just taking a guess can cause big problems because if you're not really sure that you're making the right medical decision for a loved one, first of all, you might be getting that bad decision wrong. But second of all, not being sure has a lot of consequences for the people who are making the decisions. There's been a study that shows that people show the symptoms of PTSD very frequently when they are placed in that position of having to make a decision for a loved one. So that's really where our company comes in. So we design tools and systems that help people have that kind of challenging conversation, conversations about death and dying and conversations about serious illness. And I think we take a sort of different approach than a lot of the other approaches that are out there right now. This is a topic that people are very interested in. There's a lot of studies going on. There are a lot of organizations that are working on this because everyone recognizes that it's a real challenge. But we take this slightly different approach. Most systems use some variation on communication training. 
to try and solve this problem. So that means getting some doctors or some nurses, some social workers to take trainings on how to improve their communication. And there's a few problems with that. One is that these trainings take a long time. They're only usually given to a few people in an organization. And it's really impossible to train people for every possible topic that will come up. And just as importantly, you're only training one side of the conversation. You're only able to train people who are in healthcare. So the patients, the families don't receive any training in general. So we take a different approach, which is that we looked at what are the things that make having challenging conversations possible? What are the things that make people feel more comfortable sharing their own personal opinions about what they want, particularly even with strangers, people in healthcare who they may never have met before? So it turns out we actually know a lot about what makes those kinds of conversations happen. We know it from research on group dynamics. So what we do is take some of that research. And instead of putting it into trainings, we build tools that people use in the actual conversations themselves. So what that means in practice is that people can actually take our tools, sit down and have a good conversation without any real preparation. I mean, people in healthcare have preparation from their healthcare training. Patients and families have preparation from their own personal lives. But beyond that, all they really need is our tools in order to have a good conversation that's going to be productive. And that's really all of the work that we do. I think we can probably all be convinced that it's important to get as many people's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. into this conversation, Nick, how does the game get everybody involved? So you mentioned the game. So we have a game, it's called My Gift of Grace, and it's used by families to have conversations. At least that was the original design for it. We found pretty soon after we released it that people in healthcare really wanted to use it. So we've designed some versions that are particularly for use in healthcare. But there's some very simple things built into the game that make it a place that people can have these challenging conversations where people feel safer opening up. So one of those things is what I think is probably the most important part of the game. It's something called a thank you chip. And it's really just a very simple way for anybody in the conversation to express gratitude for something that somebody else said. And what this winds up doing during the game is people sort of start to use them at the beginning of the game a little tentatively, and then someone will say something maybe a little bit profound or maybe something that people recognize as really opening up about something that they weren't able to talk about before. And suddenly people start giving them chips, and there's this feedback loop where people start to use gratitude as a way to help others feel comfortable. So that's one of the big components of the game, and we build that into a lot of our other work as well. And then the other thing about the game is that one of the things about most tabletop or card games is that everybody in the game plays the same role. So when you enter a game, like one of the ones that we've created, everybody is an equal. So... We, don't, we no longer have this hierarchy. We no longer have different people in the room feeling like they have to play a particular role. You get to play yourself. And what that does is it sort of furthers the ability for everybody in the room to sort of get a little more comfortable and start sharing things about themselves. And we find that in healthcare where nurses, social workers, and doctors are also sharing things about themselves. And that's very important because they have a, a level of expertise with healthcare that patients and families probably don't have. But if they share it as an expert, 
they're going to be listened to in a different way than if they share it as their own personal opinion. So that's just a couple of ways that, that people use the game in order to open up about some of the personal topics that they bring up during the game. You mentioned you've done a lot of research. Why are you finding that tools are a better way to change behaviors around end-of-life issues rather than training? I think there's a lot of different reasons, but one of the more interesting ones to me is that a game in particular sort of creates a different kind of space around it. Like I said, it removes this sort of idea that there's only a few experts in the room. In any of these conversations, we're all experts. We all have expertise in our own lives. And I think one of the things about training is it reinforces this idea that there are some experts in the room and some people who are not experts. And the tools take that out of the equation and help everybody open up and start having these conversations. I think one of the things that when you look at communication training, there's a lot of emphasis on trying to figure out how to answer particular questions or how to deal with particular issues that come up. The thing about conversations about end of life is that they're really conversations about life. And that means everything in life. You have no idea when you enter into one of these conversations what topic is going to come up. Most likely, it's going to veer off in a, in a direction that you could never have predicted in advance. And because you can't predict it in advance, it makes it very difficult to train for it. So rather than trying to capture all of the different topics that are going to come up during one of these conversations, we allow these tools to manage no matter what topic comes up. So if a patient starts talking about their love of a particular sports team, that says a lot about them. And the tools that we create help to reinforce that it's good to be talking about those kinds of topics. It's good to be exploring all of these different tangents because those tangents actually come together at the end of a conversation to really say a lot about a patient. Outstanding. It's going to sound like I know more than I do. I'm trying to draw out some information here. Sure. Why do conversations about end-of-life issues wind up being more about living than about dying? Well, I think the thing about this topic, and we started working on end-of-life conversations about four years ago, and we realized very quickly that one of the things about talking about death is that it focuses you. It gets everybody in the conversation thinking about what is most important to them. And I think there's a reason that these conversations scare us, but that same reason is related to why these conversations are so meaningful. And we see that every single time people sit down to play this game. We see that people bring up topics and explore ideas that they may never have talked about before. We have these things called conversation events where people get together, sometimes in groups of 100 people or more, and all play the game in small groups together in a room. And we ask them at the end, what did you talk about and what was your experience like? We have people sit down at tables, sometimes with strangers, and at the end say, I brought up things about myself and learned things about myself that I never have talked about with anybody, even my closest family members. And I think that's because conversations about death really are just a focused way of talking about life. Organizations that are interested, Nick, what can they do today beyond ordering the game? Or is the mm -hmm. game really the first step in the whole process that organizations can take to get the conversation started? The game is really designed for families and any 
family can use it. Got it. So any family can go online and order a copy of the game. You sit down around the table and play the game for 10 minutes or four hours. We've had people play literally all day long. It's the kind of thing that you can have a great experience with your family right out of the box. For organizations, there's two different ways that they can start using it today. The first are these conversation event kits, which we just released a few weeks ago. So this is based on a lot of our work over the last few years, creating these events for organizations. And we took all of our experience in creating events and built them into these kits so that any organization now can buy either a 25-person kit or a 50-person kit. And it includes everything you need to host one of these events. It helps, it gives you templates for inviting people. It talks about how you need to arrange the space, how to introduce the game, scripts and templates and all of that. And when people have, have gone to one of these events, they actually go home with a book with all of the questions and the answers and a guidebook for turning those their answers to these questions into advanced directives, into conversations with caretakers, into conversations with their clinicians. So that's the first way is these conversation event kits. And the second way is actually a, sort of a deeper engagement with our organization where we'll come in and work with the staff to get them familiar with this kind of conversation. So that means actually using the game with the staff. And we find that very frequently just as happens with families, staff open up to each other and learn to have better conversations with each other just by having staff-to-staff -staff games. Then the next step after staff play the game with each other, with other members of their care team, is to have the staff actually take the game home and play it with their families and friends. And this sort of builds a foundation of empathy among the staff. One of the things that is important in the program that we have, it's called the conversation system, is to help staff understand what these conversations are really like. And the best way to do that is to have them have those conversations with their own family members. So once we've built that foundation with the staff, we work with them to choose one of the questions from the game. And there's a number of different questions that cover different topics, but we work with them to figure out which is the question that's going to help them start a conversation with every patient that they encounter. And I think that's very important. There's often a sort of tendency to, to think, well, this is just for a particular kind of patient or patients who are really struggling or families that are having trouble with decision-making. Very frequently, patients will be struggling, families will be struggling, and it's not noticeable to the staff. So we think it's really important for everybody in a particular patient population to get asked one question from the game, just as a sort of conversation starter. Once we've chosen that question with the staff, we support them to start using it with every patient. And it's a very simple, just it takes a few minutes, where in the first encounter with a patient or a patient's family, they add this question to all the other questions that they're asking. And they usually add it as an aside. They'll pull out the question from the game and they'll say, this is going to seem like an unusual thing to ask you in this kind of interview, but I want to ask you this question that we think is going to help us understand you a little better and provide better care. And by the way, this is a question that we ask every patient, and it's a question that all of the staff members have answered themselves, and I'm happy to share my answer with you, too. So then the patient is asked this question, and of course they're not forced to answer it, but almost every patient with, in the organizations that we've worked with wants to answer these questions. They want to answer questions that are about them as people, 
not about their symptoms, not about the medication they're on, not about their medical history, but about who they are as people, what's important about them. Then the answer to that question, if it's an inpatient unit, the question goes up on the wall. If it's a home care, the question goes up on their refrigerator. And often they'll continue to ask more of these questions, and the questions are filled out and put in a very visible place. What this does is it creates a kind of hook for future conversations. So, for instance, you know, uh, uh, another staff member may come into the room a few days later, notice the card, and have topics to actually bring up with people, and they can ask more questions about them. They may bring more questions from the game into the room. And what happens is you start to build a whole set of information about this patient that isn't just the stuff that's in their chart. And that turns out to be a really powerful way to create the context for person-centered care, for care that is really about the individual person. And it helps patients feel like they're actually being listened to because they are being listened to. So those are the, the two big ways that we engage with healthcare organizations. One is with the, the event kits, and the other is the conversation system, which is this sort of deeper engagement where we actually build components of the game into the everyday care of patients. Nick, what would you imagine or what are you thinking would be good target organizations for the conversation event kits? So for conversation event kits, I think there are a lot of organizations that see it as their mission to provide better care for their communities in general. So their communities may, can be defined in a lot of different ways. The conversation event kits actually sometimes happen with college students, for instance. I think more likely they're going to be used with uh, hospices that want to increase awareness of hospice services in a particular community. They're going to be used in skilled nursing facilities where people want to sort of start these conversations in a more general way with all of the people who they serve. It, I think it's useful for, you know, even libraries and for colleges. I think there's a whole bunch of different kinds of organizations that know they want to start this kind of conversation, know they want to educate their communities about advanced care planning. And what we're doing is giving them a way that is really deeply engaging and on some level kind of fun. One of the things about these events is that people often sort of are a little bit scared to come to them. Very frequently, it's hard to get them, uh, it's hard to stop people from playing the game at the end of an event. Very frequently, people will stick around long after the event is over to continue playing. Perfect. What have I missed here, Nick? What would you like people to know about the Gift of Grace game or common practice that I haven't already asked you? Well, I think I just touched on it a little bit. I think one of the things that we've found over the years of working in this area is that people's ideas about what these conversations are going to be like is really completely different than what they actually are like. And I think it's a really powerful thing to sit down with your family or to sit down with strangers and have these conversations if you have the right structure and the right tools to have them. I think there's a there's good reason that people are scared of these conversations. And sometimes when you start them without a good structure, they can go kind of badly. You know, people don't know what to talk about. People get really scared. They clam up. When you have a tool or a structure that helps you have that conversation, though, people bring up things that maybe they've held inside for years or decades. And when they're able to do that and they do it in a, an environment where they get support, 
it's a really meaningful experience. And it's something that I'm really lucky to get to see happen pretty much on a daily basis. I mean, we get so many stories from people who say, I was worried to bring this up with my husband, but once I played the game with them for a little while, I felt really safe. And I think that's pretty much universal, that people have a good experience when they have the right tools to have these conversations. We actually have some recently published research that came out just a few weeks ago that showed that the vast majority of people who play the game actually enjoy it. And that's not necessarily something that you would know to look for in advance. I think very frequently when people hear, oh, it's a game about end of life, people very frequently say, oh, that sounds really fun. But it is actually really fun. It is surprising how many people laugh in the middle of this game. And not just people who are healthy. Very frequently, people who are nearing the end of their lives want to be treated like everybody else. They want to be treated the same way they've always been treated. And there's something about laughter and jokes and meaningful conversation that accomplishes that. Perfect. Nick, we're about to wrap it up here for today. But before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about Common Practice? People should visit our website, which is common-practice.com. And if individuals want to buy a copy of the game, they can also go to mygiftofgrace.com. And please be in touch. You can find my contact information on those websites, and I'd love to hear from people. Great, Nick. It was so great to have you here today. Thanks for stopping by, sharing your wisdom, and telling us all about the gift of grace. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. All right. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Nick Jalen, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. <laughs>